0: Hello, everyone. Amelia Taylor-Hochberg, Archinect's Editorial Manager here. The interview you're about to hear was recorded as part of Archinect's first-ever live podcasting event series, Next Up, held during the opening weekend of the inaugural Chicago Architecture Biennial. As we ease into Season 2 of our podcast, we'll be releasing over four hours of interviews and discussions from Next Up.
1: Stay tuned to hear more about an exciting change to our shows this season, and enjoy this interview from Next Up. All right. So now we have John Lin from Rural Urban Framework. Hi, John. Hi. Thanks for joining us. I want to first ask you as an introduction to your work to kind of contextualize it within what's happening in China. And I know that uh, there's been a a five-year plan to massively urbanize rural China. So can you describe the situation and and how that's affected both uh, architecture in China and the everyday life of Chinese people?
0: Okay. I mean, context is... I think you know super important in our work, and um, without sort of getting into this deep hole where we have to sort of explain you know um, Chinese policies very briefly. The um, China is governed and planned through a series of five-year you know increments, and we are in actually the twelfth five-year plan. It's uh, going to end at 2015. And then there'll be the 13th five-year plan. I think what's interesting is the previous five-year plans had focused on rapid urbanization. Um, some 10 years ago, the population was balanced. Roughly 50% lived in cities, 50% in the rural. The goal is to take sort of the remaining 50, you know, 50% of the rural citizens and urbanize them. Now, this can be sort of transferred to the cities or sort of direct conversion of towns into larger, you know, cities. Mm, mm. But I guess for our work, the interesting thing is when we started, the focus was on urbanization. And the last five-year plan, the focus has been on um, looking at the rural. So there has been a shift in focus into the rural. And um, they call it building the socialist countryside. Mm. You know, So... Uh, when the work began, the premise was, because the cities were being you know, built over sort of beginning about 30, 40 years ago, all the focus and attention was on the cities. But the rural was changing rapidly because the money was being sent back for the migrants going to the cities to work, and it was a bit more hidden. And now the rural has become exposed, in a sense, as a, a kind of new focus In terms of what I think, in this period of economic slowdown, I think that essentially by creating more consumers, converting them from the rural, I think they can begin to alleviate some of the effects of that slowdown. And the cities have been built, so now the focus is on rebuilding the rural.
1: So does the divide still kind of operate cleanly between rural rural and urban when they're urbanizing the, the rural regions? Does that make sense? Is, is there still like a clean divide between mm-hmm. rural and urban in China? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I, I think what's interesting is that the landscape is very blurred, but you don't have the clear, you could say, buffer zone of the suburban that you see here in America. Mm-hmm. However, the clear divide is actually in what we call the hukou, which is the, um, you are either a rural or urban citizen. Mm-hmm. So everybody in China has this household registration and so you can't actually move to the cities and just begin working. Because you can't bring your family, they can't go to school there. They can only go to school where their hukou is.
1: Oh, that's fascinating. So you guys do a wide variety of projects, from infrastructure to schools to housing. Do you have like a, a unified approach to each one, or does it vary according to the program at hand?
0: Yeah. I, I think the challenging thing is that the, the work is literally a reflection of not just the, the sort of spatial condition, but the evolution of policy and the changes over time. So we've built this kind of big model, which you know, puts everything together in one um, big landscape, but it's not just a cross-section through space. You know, it has all these different rural conditions. It's also a cross-section through time. If you really unpack the model, you would see that it's all about different villages, but in different times over the last 10 years, you know, as policy changed. So as a result, what we've done is we've looked at the work, and actually we, we, um, we applied a lot of contradictory strategies. This is not something that you could say we, we came in and said, okay, this is what we want to do, but it's upon reflection. But we began to organize it. We said, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes we employ something top-down, sometimes it's something bottom-up. And I think it's interesting then, you know, as opposed to architects or architecture where you're trying to unify one, a single methodology when you're working in a condition that's constantly changing is full of contradictions itself I think you have to be more flexible we're trying to create a toolbox toolbox of strategies for urbanization
1: so you just recently won the Curry Stone Prize what are the implications of that for your practice
0: um, how will it change well, your practice what I hope the implications are is that we get to continue to do you know, what we're doing When we started, it was very ad hoc, Mm. and, you know, it's extremely unplanned. It's not, it doesn't fit into any sort of commercial model for architecture, and we really like that. And it's okay to do it one time, but to maintain that, you know, sort of organic way of working and maintain this informality to remain outside of sort of professional capacity, Mm. that takes some effort. You know, I've been saying it's like a bit of a Robin Hood act, where we've been leveraging lots of different funding models and funding streams together. Uh, hopefully with the Curry Stone Prize, um, it will help us stabilize it. Not formalize it, but simply stabilize mm. this way of working as an alternative. Because I think through this way, it's not just that the, the, the manner of working is you know, an alternative, but the work itself hopefully comes to be something different than what you could achieve in a commercial practice. And
1: how is your experience working with the Biennial?
0: My experience?
1: Yeah, how's it been?
0: Oh, it's great. It's great. I, I think um, it's always the unexpected events and moments, you know. Um, for example, right across from us are these great Brazilian architects, Rua, um, Pedro and Pedro. Mm-hmm. And they built their model at the exact same scale that we did. So we have got, like, Brazil, you know, the, the favelas and everything at 1 to 200. And we have the Chinese landscape at 1 to 200. This is kind of amazing dialogue then, you know, when you start to to look at it and understand it. So I think you have to be open to those surprising events. And I think that, in a sense, you're not here to necessarily learn about architects or you know, just the work, but you're also here to understand something about where they come from. And that's really what we, in a sense, try to do. You know, we're trying to bring a sense of the Chinese context here, not just you know, our buildings or our practice.
1: Great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Does anyone um, in the audience have any questions? You, you said that people are kind of categorized by whether they're urban or rural. Yes. And if you're rural, you can't just move to the city. But is there any interaction? I mean, is there transportation? Does the rural go to the city to work? And okay, they go? Yeah. I mean,
0: I, I and, it, is, 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 it, it is yeah, the yeah.
1: connection part of your architecture yeah. and, and what you're planning for, so there yeah. is a, they're yeah. not separate, they're one, because they're one people.
0: I meant it politically, yeah. Um, of course you can physically go to the cities, and I, I guess what is strange is that you, know, you want these rural migrants to come to the cities, because they are the ones building the cities, but you don't want them to stay necessarily. You know, because you don't need this, you could say, labor force there for very long. And it's a way of, I think, balancing and essentially controlling the movement of the population. I think it's, it expresses a sense that the dynamic between the rural and the urban has, I believe, historically been a very strong aspect in terms of how um, China has developed. And I, I mean, before even Mao's time, you know, I think it's a traditional concept. It is primarily Mao was interested in the rural, and he applied a lot of his theories there. Then Xiaoping also began his reforms in the rural by emancipating the, the citizens. So this relationship is very important. Thank you so much, Chan. Does anyone
1: else have a quick question before we move on?
0: Um, so earlier you mentioned strategies to increase the urban and the rural, what exactly are some of the strategies that you What What, what are some of the strategies? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think first and foremost, I think it's easy to think about architecture as an object or as a thing, you know, because that's the final result of it. And I, I think what we try to do is, in a sense, think about architecture and you could say shift the focus towards the process of making architecture and then shift the focus away from the building to its relationship to the context. Um, so, in a sense, the, the outcome, you know, the obsession with what the architecture should look like is less of a concern for us. You know, it looks like part of the landscape because we use the materials directly you know, from, from its context. Now, I think that in this sense, strategies, you have to have many different kinds of approaches to the different multitude of problems presented by architecture. Because I think if you, if you start to think about the problem being situated within the context, then it's a much more complex set of issues, you see, then rather than this is what I want to build and why I should look new or why I should look this way. The strategy, sometimes we're doing a kind of top-down strategy. We work with the government. We might plan an entire village um, in another Project we built one house as a kind of model house, and you could say that's a bottom-up process because the villagers are learning from this house. They're adapting then it, these ideas into their own houses. You know, so you're kind of there's two very different um, approaches to this idea of uh, control. One issue that's really important to us is the issue of um, adaptation and you know allowing programs to mutate and not thinking about architecture as sort of something very fixed in time, but creating a kind of, seeing architecture as a structure for which people can adapt and to evolve independently. I think that's very important as well. So we also use these kinds of different strategies where we think about it in terms of um, a program that evolves. Or we think about it by opening a space you know, that can be used in multitude of different ways. I mean, basically, we've, if you go upstairs, I think it's listed, in a sense, these, these strategies. But it helps to, to contrast them. It's a way of thinking about architecture. It's like a chess game. John, are you going to be around for a while to maybe to go by your exhibition? Are you going to be able to be there? Or you have plans for the rest of the day? You oh, you're asking me about my plans? <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking if you're going to be around your exhibition later in the day in case people spot you by it and can ask you about it. Yeah, of course. Of course, Great. I, I try not to stalk my own <laughs> exhibition. There's so many other really interesting things. But um, yeah, of course, Great. I'll be around. Well, thank, you. thank you. Thank you so much.